0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by
1: state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring,
0: Hey, okay, one
1: thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. still have grown man run around tight pants. It's smokey Betts, this is Daniel Bard, this is Steve he. Here's Aaron This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball. Baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to baseball isn't boring. Here's your host, Rob Rat. and Joey Vanessa. So pull one to left. It's got some depth to it. Still
0: going. Safe. Bench and into the bullpen. Something to get you going in the morning. There you go. You're welcome. Home run call. Joey Manessis with the home run. Bob Carpenter on the call with the home run call of the day. You are welcome. Speaking of, you are welcome. We are here to make you money. Thanks to our partners, FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com/slash. This is very important. Slash boring. FanDuel.com slash boring. If you love this podcast, if you love this cause, this is what you're going to do to make yourself some money. All right. FanDuel.com slash boring. At BB isn't boring. It's a Twitter account, social account, Instagram account. Producer, I've been doing an outstanding job. Obviously, you can go back to yesterday, see his power rankings, along with Skiff's power rankings, the battle between the Orioles, the Braves, the Dodgers. Who's the best team in all of baseball? Maybe none of them. I don't know. But go listen to the power rankings. It's a good one. Speaking of good ones, today's a good one. Absolutely. Jacob Turner. So you have Jacob Turner is a guy who was drafted ninth overall in the 2009 draft. A guy who made a lot of money in his signing bonus. A lot of money. Had a decent career. Major league career. But now it's pivoted to helping others. Moment Private Wealth is a company that he runs. And he is the guy that you want to listen to when it comes to, A, youngsters. We're talking about 18-year-olds getting drafted, trying to navigate their world in this world of, of people being throwing money at them, throwing fame at them, and also people at the end of their career who are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And how about everybody in between? While you're playing, what exactly you should be doing, what exactly you should be focusing on? Jacob Turner is a great guy to listen to when it comes to understanding the realities of spending money, making money, of living that life, living that major league and maybe minor league and maybe not even minor league life. But uh, talking to Jacob, it is such a powerful conversation. I hope that people in the industry listen to this and take heed. I mean, I, there are so many things that we have brought up over the course of the podcast that hit home. You know, building your brand, being willing to show what you, really your personality is, um, understanding what it actually means to get drafted, what it means to get drafted high very high. I mean, this guy, ninth overall pick in 2009. Also, the dynamic of having Scott Boris as your agent. What's that like? It's all right here in this podcast. Okay, it's just an outstanding, outstanding conversation. We, we appreciate Jacob for jumping aboard. A little bit later, the Godfather is going to join us a little bit later in the day. Joe Kelly, big event coming up in, out in California. Book signing for charity taking pictures, signing bobbleheads, the whole ball of wax. But right now, this is a conversation. Jacob Turner. All right. There's nobody I'd rather have on right now than Jacob Turner. Founder, Moment Private Wealth, financial advisor for pro athletes and high-growth entrepreneurs. And also, Jacob, you were a good baseball player. Congratulations with that.
1: Thank you. I'm excited for the conversation.
0: So... It's it's one of these things where you know I find it so interesting in so many ways what you do where you've come from, um, going back to when you were drafted ninth overall in the two thousand nine draft, and you know and and you had I think you had correctly if I'm wrong you had the four even though you were the ninth pick you had the fourth highest signing bonus right. That sounds right. I don't know what the I don't know what
1: the exact ranking was at the time. I know that. That was the last year that they allowed major league contracts, and I had a major league contract, so...
0: I know my agency was big on that. Yeah. And you were obviously linked up with Scott Boris, which I want to get to a little bit later. Um, and because I always find ta- my conversations with Scott are, are always enlightening and and, uh, and is, is never the, the answer that you're going to get or never the path that you think you're going to take. And someone being on the inside of it, I find really interesting. But I'm going to say this, say this, to that 2009, and it just dawned on me before we went on, is that that was a draft... That we had to me like my best draft story, which was Joe Kelly, my co-author, a damn near perfect game, was picked in the third round. Now to understand like the power of the signing bonus back then, Jacob, his I've told this story before, but you, you were drafted in the 2009 draft, so I'm going to tell it again. The in the two, second round, Joe Kelly's having his 21st birthday. On the day of the draft, having the party, Angels hometown team calls him up. How long? How much is it going to take to to, to sign? And the twenty-first birthday had taken over. He said a billion dollars hung up. Wasn't drafted. Patrick Corbin probably cost himself four hundred grand, or no, like probably a little, about two hundred grand. Drafted in the next round in the third round. But that is what, like, like <laughs> so as he's, I've never heard
1: that story. Uh,
0: yeah, great one. yeah. So it's um, all, again, all part of the book, a damn near perfect game. But it's also you know, he, he first of all, when Joe told me that story, he said, "Hey, you know, I want the headline to blame, blame it on the Jägermeister," which is you know perfect. Um, but also, Jacob, it, it also to go back to being drafted. And I, I'm kinda interested from your perspective before we get into sort of the meat and potatoes and, and your advice to professional athletes, particularly baseball players. What was that like leading into that draft? Obviously you were a high school kid. Is though it obviously, it wasn't that, that conversation where you hung up the phone and said a billion dollars. But I would imagine there were, there were teams calling, how much is it gonna take to sign? How much is it gonna take to sign? What is that what was that dynamic like?
1: You know, I think for me as a high school player it's really interesting because you're a 17 or 18 year old kid and i had a i was very fortunate to have a good family support system around me as you mentioned i used the forest corporation as representation i was for all intents and purposes really outside of the the day-to-day and any phone calls that were happening my whole goal um, when i was getting close to potentially signing was it was going to take something that I would call like outside the box for me to pass up an opportunity to go to North Carolina at the time. My family believed in education, um, so it, it, was, it was an interesting dynamic. I think that all created a lot of leverage.
0: And so, and so, when you go through it, so I don't know if can you can you remember the first few picks of that draft? Obviously, the guy at the top has been in the news lately: Steven Strasberg. But do you remember the other guys picked before you? One of them, which, by the way, was a North Carolina... I can
1: tell you most of
0: them. I'm sorry?
1: I said, I can probably tell you most of them.
0: All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Ready? All
1: right. So the first pick was Steven Strasburg. The second pick was Dustin Ackley. Yeah. The third pick was Donovan Tate. Yeah. The fourth pick was Tony Sanchez. Yeah. The fifth pick was... Was a this pick.
0: is a tough one. Didn't make the major leagues. Didn't make the major leagues. Mm. Baltimore. I think,
1: I know it is. Oh, no, Matt Hobgood. Yes,
0: Matt Hobgood.
1: Uh, Zach Wheeler was a sixth pick. The seventh pick was Mike Miner. Yep. And Mike Lee.
0: Yep. Good Good work. Excellent job. Yeah. <laughs>
1: now, I, did, I will say this, Rob. I didn't watch the draft after I got picked, but I will tell you. As a guy that was, at the time, hoping to get picked relatively high, those first eight picks take forever, um, and it feels like you're never going to get picked, and I would call it a total first-world problem, but I can completely empathize with, uh, especially the guys at the NFL level, where there's a lot of media around the draft, and you see them sitting in that green room, and they get to like the 20th pick, and there's always the guy that thought he was going to go to the top ten. And I just think, I can't imagine how long it's felt like that guy has waited. And he's probably thinking at some point, I'm never going to get picked. So it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And I would, we didn't have near the fanfare that even the Major League Baseball draft has today. Oh,
0: no. And think about how Mike Trout felt. I mean, he had to wait till number 25. So...
1: And uh, a caveat to Mike Trout's situation, too, is I believe he was the only, that was the first year that Major League Baseball invited players to the draft. They had a little draft set up with, I think, with MLB Network, and I think Mike was the only guy that went. So you know, he's the only guy there. Really? I, I don't know. If they, I think they only announced the first the first round that year. So you know, he's six or seven, six or so picks away from from not getting picked at all, and he's the only guy there.
0: <laughs> well, he he knew something that the twenty four other teams didn't. So there you go. All right. um, so you know, let's stick on this for a second. So the. When you see, you know, there's been it, there's been plenty of opportunities or, or examples of, of guys getting drafted. The signing bonuses are high, higher than ever, um, and there's probably plenty of examples of guys who got drafted, got their signing bonuses, and and it just was like, okay, you know, give me the car, give me the house, give me this, give me that, and. Um, but you know, I saw that you said that that almost half of your signing bonus, which was over, I think, four million dollars, was went to taxes, right? It was pretty close to that. I mean, I think the number that I generally throw out to people is just around fifty percent between taxes and agent fees. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. So, so when you get when you started doing this, when you started advising didn't you see this maybe more than you see it now? Or were people less educated in this world? And I know we're only talking about the draft, but still, it's young kids getting a lot of money. What what was your perspective of this when you went through it uh, to the extremes?
1: There's more education out there today than there was in 2009 when I went through it. That's not to say that that families are better educated on the process because frankly, how would they be educated, right? They're going through a situation that 0.0001% of people ever go through. It's not like if their son is a great baseball player, they can go down the street and talk to their neighbor who also had a great baseball player that also got picked in the first round and hear all the stories and everything that they should and shouldn't do. It's such a unique experience that while there are more resources out there, it's still it's a really challenging topic because you only get to do it once as you mentioned as we were talking about those first nine picks in the draft there were guys in the first nine picks that never played a day in the big leagues so for all intents and purposes what they made for their signing bonus was really 99% of what they made in their entire baseball career
0: right and and, and that's and, and that's hard for them obviously at that time it's hard to get their head around they they're probably thinking oh this is just the beginning of everything and um so for you, you know, going through it wasn't something where as you're going through your playing career, you're seeing examples of this. You're seeing examples of missteps, you're seeing examples of questions and it's sort of implanted in your head as you're playing, hey, this is something I really want to dive into when it's all when when my playing career is done or was it you just got to the end and said, "Okay, you know, I think this is an underserved thing. I think I want, to, I want to start investigating it more.
1: I would say it was a combination of both. You know, for me, Rob, I've always loved personal finance. I've always, I would say, at heart, I'm really a personal finance nerd. And I've always loved the way the numbers worked. My mom had an accounting background growing up, so when I first signed, I remember seeing like the first Excel spreadsheet at 18 years old that she had put together for me. So (laughs) I had a unique perspective coming into it, but I also had an understanding that this was a huge blessing. You know, I had signed for all this money. I think one of the best things my parents did was they really put the responsibility back on me to say that, Jacob, this is your, your money, it's your opportunity to do what you want with it will help you build the right team of people around you. But I took that responsibility and said, I really want to learn and understand what's going on. For years, I was not the expert, but I was always asking questions, reading books, hearing what other guys were doing. And I would say, for me, throughout my career, which had a ton of ups and downs, I knew pretty quickly that baseball wasn't going to be the end-all, be-all. I probably wasn't going to play for 20-plus years and, and be in the Hall of Fame. That there was going to be a true career after baseball. And I thought, you know, when I got done, I love personal finance. I love educating people. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I wasn't exactly sure what the medium I was going to do it in. And three years later, um, having the business that we
0: have today, I'm happy that I went down the path of helping to advise guys financially. So the the question as you're sort of evolving and, and and learning this stuff you know i'm going to pivot to the 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 relationship with scott boris and every you know this scott scott rightfully so gets a lot of attention there's other great agents out there there's other agents who aren't so great but from your perspective as you're going through this what did you learn what was the things that sort of stuck with you the way that he he and his corporation went about doing things
1: I think first and foremost, for me personally, when I was going through the process of hiring an agent, my goal and my family's goal was to hire the person that could first and foremost get me paid whatever I felt like my value was and to find somebody that could protect me. Um, I think those are two things that the Boris Corporation for me personally did really well. I did not have the best career in the world, but I, I definitely feel like I earned um Every penny I could have earned during when, from the time when I was playing, and I felt like they did a really good job protecting me. So those are the two biggest things that I think about. And I think I, my parents instilled in me to think about when we were going through the agent process. It is very hard as an 18 to 21 year old kid when you just came off of potentially getting recruited by all these colleges to now that all these agents are coming to you. And frankly, a lot of them are promising the moon. You know, they're saying, they're talking you up. They're talking about how good you are. what the projections are who they have in their stable of clients that reminds you of them it can be relatively overwhelming so just trying to keep it simple and saying okay who who would
0: best protect me and who would help me get paid whatever my value is Hmm. and and so what if you had to say i guess you kind of answered it but it's for for a kid who's going through this right now and you know getting wooed by all these agents if there was one thing that you would start with, and again, maybe you, you just said it, but I want to sort of like power ranking if I can. If there's one thing you say start with, they come into the room. This is a thing you got to make sure that this agent is taking care of. This, this agent is actually sincere about when they have to make this tough decision, as you said, like an 18-year-old, what would it be?
1: Well, you know, I think the best question that you can ask an agent, and this is what I would encourage every guy to ask an agent, is I would love the opportunity to potentially talk to somebody that you work with or a family that you work with that maybe at some point was a really big prospect or player but isn't anymore, and I'd like to hear their experiences working with you. And the reason why I say that is when you're getting recruited by anybody, whether it's a, a job, whether it's a college, whether it's an agency, whether it's a financial advisor, they're generally recruiting you or they're wanting to talk to you because you're having some level of success that they see projecting out of the future. But the reality is, as we both know, baseball is a game of failure and there's a lot of guys that get drafted really high that their biggest moment in baseball will be the day they get drafted and they won't go on to achieve great things in the major leagues. And what happens if that scenario happens? Because I think they're, to your point, Rob, there's a lot of really good agents out there. If, If I do everything I'm supposed to do on the field and I get to free agency, I think there is a a really good handful of agents that can get me paid when I'm working free agency. But who's going to be there for me if it doesn't go that way and I'm in AAA and I'm struggling and I really need to find a job for the next year? How have you handled those relationships in the business? Because those are the ones that are challenging for the agent, right? You're not making them as much money as you thought. How are they still, quote unquote, on your bus?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, so many times you see it go the other way, and then and people are running away—not only agents, but you know, everybody. You know, so um, you know you mentioned age, and and one of the things that I remember talking to Mookie Betts about this about contract extension, and and you know when you get to Mookie's level right now, you don't really have to worry too much about money. I mean, I, I you you can make some bad decisions and still end up okay. But he had told me, he said, when the, when the Red Sox came and, and they were offering contract extensions, by far the toughest one to turn down was the first one because as, however old he was, he had never seen you know whatever it was, you know, $100 million. He had never seen that much money. And that's like almost impossible to turn down. How, as even from, from an agent's point of view and from your point of view, when you sit down with these kids, when you sit down with these athletes, these baseball players, how do you make them, how do you convince them to say, hey, listen, this is either the right thing or the wrong thing, but, you know, don't be reactionary about this because you're blown away by the the meaty gratification?
1: I think it starts with, with two things. The first one is just educating the player, educating the family. and. If you speak to the draft, it's really educating them on what the true value of signing bonus is. If you speak to free agency, it's really educating them on what is the true value of this hypothetical contract that I'm about to sign. Let's say it's going to pay me 20 or $30 million after taxes, after agent fees. If I don't make any more money and we invest the money and it's in a diversified way, what is an amount of money that I could legitimately live on for the rest of my life? And does that amount of money get me the lifestyle that I want to be able to live? where you start to really break it down and you get away from whatever the big number is that we saw on the ESPN ticker because in reality, that doesn't matter. What matters is, how is this potentially going to affect my life? And then the second piece of that, which is where I think the agent plays such a critical role, is educating the player and the family on on really what their value is. Because, you know, let's take uh, Ronald Acuna, for example. You know, one of the greatest players in the game today signed a really big contract and I don't know anything about his situation. And it was a lot of money, but I think we would all be willing to bet that if he didn't sign that contract, he'd be looking at a bigger contract today. So that's not to say it was a good or a bad decision. It's just to say that the player needs to be educated on the pros and cons of what their value potentially is. And then ultimately the player needs to make that decision. I think there's this misconception in the media. And I think Scott has had this misconception that he's making decisions for players. And I would just tell you, like, it's not its not that way. I mean, look, players hire their agents to do a job for them. And I think the biggest, best job they can do is help to educate them so the player can make an educated decision on whether they should potentially sign a contract or not. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Now, obviously, players athletes are very fortunate to have something like Moment Private Wealth and yourself at their back. But at the same time, you have probably seen players that you played with getting advice from other players in the clubhouse. Hey, you know, I, you got, you should do this. Even even when it comes down to maybe, hey, you know, you gotta you gotta check out this two hundred thousand dollar watch. If you you gotta get it, right? I mean, you gotta get it. So the being around players in the clubhouse, you're around each other more than you're around your family a lot of times. So there's whether it's peer pressure, whether it's bad advice. I don't know how much when you were playing if you saw that where they didn't lean on people like you who were educated in the that this world but they leaned on the scuttlebutt in the in the clubhouse like, is there that dynamic and maybe maybe there isn't but you know i got to imagine there's some of it right
1: well there is and the short answer is yes there is the longer answer is there's there's a few different ways that, that kind of rears its head i think the number one thing that i saw a lot of was guys in the clubhouse talking about a concept that maybe they knew quote unquote enough to be dangerous about but they didn't really understand it so whether it was real estate or a tax thing and they would talk about it in the clubhouse and say oh my guy is telling me to do this thing and here's why it's so great it might be a great thing but the reality is generally they weren't able to explain it in a way that it actually made sense for the other guy to potentially take action on it i can remember a guy telling me about a tax strategy he was using and i went back to my cpa i said neil so-and-so in the clubhouse is using this, can I do that? And she kind of laughed and said, you know, let me explain what this actually is, and I think maybe he's confused about what he's actually doing because you can't do what you just told me. <laughs> so that's one way. The second way is it really is an alternate universe. I write about this on, on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, this idea that <clears throat> when you're a professional athlete, it is not reality, for, for lack of a better term. You are catered on you are the star of the show, you are making a lot of money, and you're making a lot of money in a really short window. So even if you're making league minimum, your checks are tens of thousands of dollars every two weeks. So if you wanted to go out and buy that expensive watch, you could do that because you would say, oh, two weeks later I'm going to need another paycheck. So there there needs to be some level for these athletes of understanding what the value of the money they're earning is and no matter how many times the players association comes in and tells you that you're going to be a former player a lot longer than you're going to be a current player. It is hard for that to be ingrained in a guy's head until he really starts to see the jaws of life, so to speak at the end of his career that, wow, this is the music is about to stop at some point.
0: You, so you had mentioned the players association. And so I want to go to a tweet that you had. And I thought it was so good again, whatever we call it X, whatever. Um, but it's, it was, you, you lay out the pros and cons of Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, National Football League. And, and you, know, the, you know, where the MLB, it's fully guaranteed contracts, strong union, cons, limited opportunities to use a platform to promote, promote yourself on and off the field. Um, and it goes down to all the leagues, um, the pros and cons. What is, what is Major League Baseball doing to separate, and I know that the union's strong, like you said, in the, in the pros, but is Major League Baseball adding to what you have already said compared to these other leagues? In other words, whatever the, the strengths are of the NHL, NBA, and NFL, is MLB doing anything in recent times to, to make it even better? Or do they, they, do they need more work than ever? I don't know. From your perspective, what's the case?
1: Undeniably, the Major League Baseball Players Association is the strongest union in all sports. And that has been, the reason that is the case is because of guys that went way before me that made sacrifices that I didn't have to make. Guys that held out for years to get guaranteed contracts. And that has continued on throughout generations. I'll never forget the first Players Association meeting that I was in. In spring training in 2010, and one of the veteran guys stood up and he spoke and he talked about when he first came into the league, somebody else had stood up just like he had done and spoke. And I think that that has carried on throughout generations of players. So I'll start with that. The, the second piece is, have they done things to make it better? Certainly. there's. I, I think even from a simple standpoint, having a minor league union, I think, is a, a bigger deal than people realize. Because... Not every guy signs for millions of dollars like I did. Not every guy is fortunate to have the resources and the time to be able to invest back in themselves. A lot of the guys I played with, they got to double A and they really had to make the choice between, do I keep playing and try to live out this dream or do I go try to support my family because I'm not making any money and I have a wife and a kid. So there's definitely things that have been done. I think the other thing that people maybe miss, and I'll compare it to the NBA, but the NBA arguably has the most marketable players of any league. If you think about LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, guys that are doing really significant ventures off the field. But I think that also goes back to that there's guys in the clubhouse that are starting to do those things. And then guys are starting to stair-step and take the same approach over and over again. I wish I wish there was more guys in Major League Baseball that would start taking that approach to building what I call their personal brand mm. off the field. Because they they have such an amazing opportunity. It's the one thing that I wish I would
0: have done a better job of while I was playing. Man, I mean, you you hit. I'm so glad you brought that up. We just had Ryan Spielborgs on, and we were talking about this exact thing, and I, I passed along a conversation I had with David Ortiz um, a couple of weeks ago. And and obviously, Ortiz is everywhere, right? I mean, Ortiz is everywhere. He's taken advantage of his popularity almost from the get-go when he retired. But he said something that I like. It struck me that this translates to kind of what you're talking about, which is players have to start understanding that you have to start building that, whether it's a persona, whether it's the whatever you want to call it, the brand, the whatever you want to do well before. So you can hit the ground running when it ends. And a lot of times it's very simple It's to your point. It's putting yourself out there maybe a little bit um it's being media friendly it's trying to understand how the media works all of that but when he said it i don't know why like but i'm like yeah the guy should understand this because there's so many examples of guys either not doing it or doing it uh so i think that's i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that's sort of what you're talking about
1: absolutely and and look i think i did a, a really poor job of this when i was playing i I didn't utilize the platform that I had, and I didn't really understand the value of the platform. And in my defense, in the defense of a lot of the other guys, when you're a professional baseball player and you know this firsthand, there's a lot of negativity coming into these guys on a daily basis. If you don't perform and you're on any of these social platforms, the negativity is just a stream of inbound. You know, you're the worst player ever is probably the nicest thing somebody will say about Hmm. you. So I certainly understand why sometimes guys are hesitant to, to make it a conscious effort, but you have such an opportunity to 10 x a hundred your platform while you are a current player that you will not have as a former player. And I'm a great example of that. I didn't start doing anything regarding social media or building a brand until I got done playing. And I've been doing it pretty consistently now for the past 18 months. And it's been a huge unlock for me as I've been building my business and having other ventures from that, but if I would have been doing it while I was playing, and I, you know, as Jacob Turner, I joke that the only people that know who I am were people that are big Detroit Tigers fans or they were upset because I didn't pitch well when I was with the Marlins, so I got traded there. I was not a David Ortiz superstar, but I was still in, on the big league roster, and I played for some some really well-known teams, and if I were to use that platform when I was playing and just put up, this doesn't have to be earth-shattering stuff, but things about what's going on in the daily day-to-day grind of a professional baseball player. And I know he's been kind of pushed away from major league baseball and he's playing overseas, but I do think Trevor Bauer is a good example of building a brand. Now I won't speak to some of the other stuff, but building a brand, he's done a really good job of it. I mean, he has a huge YouTube channel. He has a huge Instagram following. There's a lot of eyeballs on him for better or worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it is, it's true. And so Let's say that let's say that you have a player um, or an athlete. You know that they have a year, couple years left, and they're listening to this podcast. And all of a sudden, their their eyes have been open, thanks to thanks to Jacob Turner and all and all the great advice that you're giving, all the great information you're giving. So, what would you say to that player? Say they say, "I want to come in and meet with you." What would you say to that player? Again, it's, there's not a lot of time left maybe to build that brand that we're talking about. Maybe there is. But what would you say to that player? Because, you know, I know, Jacob, like that there's – I know of guys who stopped playing just a little while ago and, and they're still sort of trying to figure it out. And I'm thinking, okay, you're going to run out of money, man. Like you made a lot, yeah. but you got to figure this out. So what would you tell the person who walks into your office in that situation? I think it's like anything in life. It's just
1: starting, and you know the first step for most guys is figuring out from a financial perspective, where am I at and am I good? That's what every professional athlete really wants to know. I have built a certain lifestyle that I enjoy living, and am I good? Can I keep doing that? So I think that's first and foremost is getting that settled. The second thing is starting to really use the opportunities you have in front of you, whether you are the twenty fifth guy on a major league baseball roster or the twenty sixth guy on a major league baseball roster or you're the superstar of the team, there are people in that city that would love to, to go to lunch with you that are very successful in things outside of baseball. That was one thing that I wish I would have done a better job of and I did do at the end of my career was just meet with individuals that were successful in business or what I call the real world. And to learn and understand what their journey looked like and, and be open and honest and say, you know, I, I kinda have some interest in this, but I'm not really sure. I would love your feedback on it. That. That really helped me figure out what was next. And then I think the third piece of that, Rob, is that building the brand. Um, you don't have to have, I, I talk a lot about personal finance online, but I didn't start by talking a lot about personal finance. I was just sharing kind of what was interesting to me at the time, and that has since kind of niched down to something that I really care passionately about that also applies to the folks I'm able to help in my business. You can share anything that's going on in your life As a professional athlete And and frankly it's pretty interesting Because nobody really gets a look behind the curtain The only look behind the curtain that fans get Is what the media is able to provide And even that is, is very restricted In terms of
0: what they're actually able to show And talk about no, it's it's amazing. You know, as we're talking, we're thinking, we're talking about from time that people are eighteen years old all the way till they whatever the end of the playing career. It never stops, and it never matters about how much money you make. I mean, it's it's just you know, life is as you say. But there's a lot more to life after your playing career, and and you have to figure this stuff out. and And I, I'm glad you're saying this. This stuff. I mean, it may. So many examples are jumping to mind, I, and and I'll give you one. This for me, it was. It's right out in front of me. Like I said, I co-authored this book with Joe Kelly, and Joe is just you know Joe is a self admitted he's a relief pitcher, but at the same time he he had no problem doing a book while he's playing. He and he has no problem being out there. They just made another mural for him at Dodger Stadium, like. This is he's doing it in in that way. It's not just how I'm doing a podcast every day, but I think that's another example. I have plenty of other examples, and I think it's such an important thing. It's such an important thing for these guys to let their guard down. I mean, yeah, you're scratching right where he hitch So when it comes to this stuff, uh,
1: I think there's a stigma too, or at least there. I, I felt there was a stigma around guys potentially doing things outside of the locker room or outside of sports and the reality is in in professional baseball especially as a pitcher especially as a starting pitcher there's a lot of downtime but really for any position player or relief pitcher there's a decent bit of downtime when you get to the offseason yes you need you need to do your workouts yes you need to get your work in but that might be a few hours a day and you have the rest of the time when you're playing during the season if you're a position player and you're playing every single day it is a grind um No doubt about it. If you're a Leaf pitcher and you're going to be potentially in the game every single day, it's a grind. But I think there's still opportunities out there to be able to take a a small chunk of your time and devote it to something else. And that something else can be uh, some way that you're able to to get the word out about you and and who you are as an individual. And I I think Joe Kelly is a great example. Um, Joe Kelly's had a great career on the field, but Joe Kelly is – much more well-known than a lot of other release pitchers that probably have similar numbers to him because he has a personality and he shows it mm. and he's not afraid to show it. And there's something to be said for that.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And so I, listen, I appreciate the time. I'm going to finish off with the question that we ask almost everybody, which is there's no wrong answers. Commissioner has answered. GMs have answered. Managers have answered. Players have answered. Entertainers have answered. There's so many different answers why isn't, for you, Jacob Turner, why isn't
1: baseball boring? There's such an art form to baseball that makes it not boring. And I think that's what people miss. They, we are so caught up in today's day and age around how fast the game is taking. And look, I get it. Everybody wants things to happen at light speed. And I like the pitch clock and I like the fact that the game's moving faster. But the reality is there is an art form to baseball. There's a lot of things that are nuanced that happen during the game. And if you really pay attention, you can see them. And sometimes they take time to happen. So for me, that's why baseball isn't boring.
0: That's a good one. It's a good one. It's solid. Uh, all right, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, and I do feel like, you know, I hope that some people listen to this. Um, some people who are in this, these situations and will keep spreading the good word about Moment Private Wealth and all the good that you're doing. So I appreciate it, Jacob.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.